0: Thank you so much for being a part of this. We're going to open our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis once again, chapter 39. So if you thought I was going to say chapter 38, I'll explain a little bit about that in a minute, but it is chapter 39. Let's turn to that place. This chapter is not quite as long as the one that we had last time. I would like to read it once again just to be sure that we have um, a refreshed familiarity with, with the content of it, and then we'll jump in to what we have for today. he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything don't you love this touch but the food he ate now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said lie with me but he refused and said to his master's wife behold because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put every single everything that he has in my charge he is not greater in this house than i am nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife how then can i do this great wickedness and sin against god and as he spoke And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So, we'll end our reading here, and if you would, let's just have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing. Our Father, thank you for a beautiful Lord's Day that you've given us, nice, crisp, beautiful sunshine. Thank you for people who are here today and find it important to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's Day and uh, to meet, make even a little extra special effort to be here for the Sunday school time. Would you bless this class as well as the other classes, whether they're with adults or people who are handling our children, and may the word of the Lord be glorified and have free course in our midst today. Lord, there's something here for everyone, and I just pray that you will give us the ability to focus, the ability to concentrate, uh, the ability to put aside those things that perhaps are legitimate for us to think about or be concerned about, but we really can't deal with now, and it's not your will, it's your will that we focus on what the ministry of your word and the Spirit of God may have for us. And uh, to that end, Lord, prepare our hearts, I pray that you would help me today, Lord. I, I pray for a fresh cleansing, for a fresh sense of the presence of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray to be able to handle uh, this chapter today in a, in a reverent, uh, practical, and helpful way and that you will bless in that now, in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. All right, well, we want to begin, and uh, you notice I've titled today's lesson, A Classic Temptation, and it is indeed. I'm going to develop a little bit more about that in a few moments, but first I want to explain to you, why are we not looking at chapter 38? Because normally, unless you use fuzzy math, chapter 38 follows chapter 37, and we're out of sequence with chapter 39. Yes and no. Um, If we want to continue our focus on the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph, we skip to chapter 39 because you have a bit of a digression in the story in chapter 38. By no means would I want you to gather from what I'm saying that the content of chapter 38 is not important. It's extraordinarily important in the greater context of the whole story of what's going on in the book of Genesis and the unfolding of God's plan of redemption through the seed of Abraham. Judah is who is concerned in this particular chapter, chapter 38, so you know that's going to make this chapter important for us to know some things about Judah. Um, Judah, when we get a little bit deeper into the story of Joseph, is going to figure prominently. I won't get into that now for time's sake. But then when you get to the end of the book, chapter 48, when Joseph is giving those predictions from sort of his deathbed, as it were, about his 12 sons, we find out that Judah is the one through whom the redemptive program is going to work in particular, that his line is going to be the one through whom Messiah comes. So it really is important for us to know about Judah and I will tell you something else. There's also a clear contrast. There's another thing that makes this relevant to the story of Joseph, but not where we would spend the whole time on it. And that is, this story is a sort of a sordid one, and, and actually what we're dealing with in chapter 39 is kind of the opposite of that, because when you read chapter 38, you find about this escapade into immorality that Judah gets involved in, Um, It it is meant, I think, by the writer and meant by God to be a very clear distinction and contrast to what we're going to see when Joseph faces the same type of a situation, similar, not exactly the same, but the similar type of thing. Um, I make the comment here, too, that it's a story of classic temptation. Um, So we have a lot of this in the Bible, actually. The Bible doesn't try to uh, pull punches. So we have characters like Samson. Uh, He had lots of problems in this area of morality and physical temptations and, for him, women, this type of thing. Uh, You have David and, and once again, his escapade into immorality. Um, You have the story in Proverbs chapter 7. So I reference that here in this point of introduction. Um, that's a, that is a classic chapter. That's important for us to say this because if you're familiar with these accounts, these stories, and then if you're familiar with chapter 7, which is a classic unfolding of Solomon trying to warn his son, where it actually gives a case in point where he sees a young man who kind of makes his way in that direction and then falls prey to the seductress. Um, you're gonna be able to find that there are some elements that just keep coming to the surface in this. So, without saying too much, I think God knows that we need some insights into this and we need to be on guard. Um, There are seasons of life, to be sure, and uh, you, you could perhaps argue that some of these temptations are stronger at one stage of life than another. I think you could also make a case that they don't particularly, totally ever go away. And so, in, in, in especially with men, I'll, I'll go that far, okay? So, we, this is something that really invites our attention, and it, it really is something that's serious, and that's why I've prayed a lot about what I say today, because I, I want it to be helpful. So, we do find Joseph to be victorious, and that's the clear contrast and distinction that you have with Judah in the chapter before, But here's the thing. Even though we've sort of set the stage, and this has to do with a moral situation, it has to do with a sexual situation, any classic temptation is bound to, especially if you're victorious in it, is bound to feature certain principles that go beyond the specific example. So watch for that, even if you're not particularly concerned about the case in point. So let's do this. First of all, I want to talk about the stage is set in verses 1 through 6. The stage for what? Well, a classic temptation and a classic battle. That battle is going to be won. That's refreshing, isn't it? Especially, again, as I say, when you compare it to chapter 38. It's refreshing to know that God equips us with the grace to deal with any temptation or trial that He allows to come into our life, no matter how strong it seems to be. And so, It's very interesting to talk about this idea of how the stage is set for this battle that's going to take place because I think this this really catches Joseph. It's not necessarily something that he's thinking, okay, this is going to be the next battle that I'm going to have to deal with. But it is, and it's something that God allows to happen. So let's let's set the stage, and then I'll make more clear what I'm talking about when I say this. Here's a way that you can look at chapter 39. Think of a roller coaster. I mean, if chapter 37, we called that a shaky start, think about a roller coaster ride now. So, roller coasters, I don't know that I've, I may have ridden on one. I, you'll never get me back on another. That I can promise you. Um, I've ridden on some pretty interesting Ferris wheels and you'll never get me back on another one of them either. It's, I'm too mature. I've progressed too far in life is the best way I know to give myself a little benefit of the doubt. Not going there. But you know what the roller coaster is like, right? So you start out with a a huge dip, and you accelerate into that down curve, and then if they've designed the thing properly, you have enough momentum, you get up to the next thing, and then you roar around a curve and so forth. But mostly what I want you to think about is ups and downs. Well, it's really interesting because this chapter starts on a down, a steep down. In fact, it even uses the word down in verse 1 twice, not that it's intended to make us think of roller coasters, which they didn't have in that day. It's still interesting. It starts on a distinct down note because what's been happening in the life of Joseph? Well, great day. We, we talked about those things last week. I mean, we talked about all those things that he encountered in chapter 37, We talked about the divided loyalty. We talked about the heady revelation. We talked about the unsought favor. All of these trials that came his way. Uh, The frightening um, jealousy that he experienced from his brothers. The heartless cruelty that he experienced at their hands. And ultimately, the forced bondage, which is what elicits the writer's comment in verse number one that Joseph was brought down. So you have this incredible down that this chapter starts with. Do you ever feel that way in life? I mean, sometimes it just seems as if life is a roller coaster. Well, what's the up? Well, the up is is that (laughs) when you look at chapter 39, after you get past verse 1, it's like it all changes. It's like he's up at the apex. I mean, he gets sold into... Obviously, this this particular individual is is an important person. He's called the captain of the guard, which I take to mean that he probably has jurisdiction over the prison as well, because it's not a problem for him right away when he's angry with Joseph to send him there and to send him to the worst place. Beyond that, though, I don't think you have to be a, a super careful reader of the story to infer that undoubtedly this person, he's not only a person of position, but a person of some means. Because ultimately when he makes Joseph overseer or steward over his house, the Bible makes the comment that that he is the overseer of all that he had in the house and in the field. So if you think about this, this guy, he's well off. I mean, he's a person of means. He has a position that undoubtedly is one of prestige. He has the type of income, to use our terminology, that would come along with that, so he has a lot of means. And his holdings are not just confined to whatever spread he has in his house, he has fields. He has people working in those fields, is clear enough from what's going on here. Joseph is promoted over all of that, becomes the chief overseer in the house, and the Bible even mentions, so let's look at these things now that, uh, that happen in his life and see some of the things that are going for him. I, I, I've put this for, for people that are fans of alliteration. I mean, you don't have to be, and I don't use it all the time, but when it fits, it's kind of interesting. What does he have? Well, he has prosperity. The, the ESV uses the term success. You find the word success occurring two times there, once in verse number two, once in verse number three. And interestingly, don't miss this. We'll come back. Hopefully, with the the time at the end, it occurs, the word success occurs again. So it starts with success. Success is lost, so to speak, in earthly terms. It ends with success. But he's a person who has some prosperity. The King James uses the word prosperity. Uh, He has that position that I've just elaborated on in the house. And you'll notice he's not assigned to work in the prison. He's not assigned to work in the field. He's not a field hand even though you have to have those. He's, he's right up at the top. He's the overseer. He's the chief steward. He would be like Eliezer was to Abraham. He's, he's the person who basically has authority over everything so that Potiphar is so comfortable with the arrangement that he doesn't even know what's going on. That sounds familiar with... I better not go there. <laughs> but anyway, he doesn't even know what's going on, and, and the only real concern he has about what's going on in his house is... He wants dinner on time and to be sure he's got stuff he likes to eat. I, that, that, to me, I, people who don't find humor in the Bible, I really feel sorry. You find it all over the place, and I, I get tickled every time. I didn't know anything was going on, but he was particular about it, his meals. So, Joseph, it says, and don't miss this because this is a setup in the way it's structured. The way the comment falls, this is a setup, and I'll point about this in a minute. But you get to the end of verse number six, and probably you're... Your ESV is punctuated this way so that the, the, the statement of verse 6, the first part of the verse, ends with that thing that I called attention to. He had no concern about anything but the food he ate. But then, starting a new paragraph, because really it goes with what follows. But the verse divisions have it as part of verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So, is that just too words at the end that say the same thing and again I don't want to be too too specific with this but no really it's not it's referring to two separate things it means number one to put it in our parlance he was good-looking All right, he was handsome but beyond that it means something else it's it's both form and face so when you look at looked at Joseph he was not only a handsome individual but physically uh, he was, he, he had the goods that way, too, so to speak. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager growing up, um, I did a lot with horses, so it, I tend to think of ways you would explain this sometimes in horse terminology. So what you would say is, is if you were, gonna, if you were in, in Western, and you were going to show it Halter, anybody familiar with this? You'd go in there and uh, show a halter means you'd take your horse out there. You'd only have a halter and a, and a lead line. And it would be a class. Other people would be doing the same thing. You'd bring your horse in, and then you'd line up in a row. And you know, you'd want to get the horse where the two front feet, the two back feet are both parallel. And the horse doesn't do one of these things like they do, you know, where they take a, you don't want that. You want the, the thing posed just right. And then the judge comes around and what he looks for besides some of those things, he looks for confirmation. So in horse, in other words, how's the horse put together? What's the physique? What's the form? Does it have a steep place back here where it shouldn't, you know, is it all, that's what showing a halter is all about. So this is to say both of those things. There's, he had, Joseph had good confirmation. <laughs> this is, that's, what, that's what this is saying. So he has all of this stuff going for him And why is that a stage setter? Well, let's think about this for a moment. What have we just described the stage set? A quick rise, that's the way roller coasters are, right? A quick rise, this is meteoric. It's like he goes from rags to riches. And not only that, the quick rise coupled with his youth, This is not meant at all to be derogatory towards Joseph, but just think about back over life yourself. I mean, what you would say is, at the very least, is you'd say, you know, you're you're not necessarily the possessor of a whole lot of life's experience at this point. You haven't been around the block that many times, and almost certainly he hasn't been around the block he's about ready to get thrown into like this. Here's the thing that I'm saying to you. You know... I made an observation a long time ago, I'm sure many of you who are seasoned have have made this observation long ago, that when you have a run like this, when you have circumstances like this, I always used to say to myself, watch out, because the testing is going to come. God knows what we can stand And when he gives us something, then oftentimes he tests us. And this is exactly what happens here. This is all heady stuff. And this isn't the end result. Uh, Joseph is not going to be permanently Potiphar's overseer. That's not what God intends. In fact, it's a microcosm. To be the overseer over everything that this guy had so that he didn't know anything that was going on except what he ate is an exact thing in microcosm of what's going to happen a number of years later when he's the overseer of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh doesn't know anything that's going on. He gives him his signet ring. It's to prepare for that. But there's a reason the Bible talks about when it says in 1 Timothy 3 about people who are Prospects for ministry, and more specifically for bishop, as the the King James word is, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation and snare of the devil. This is heady stuff, especially for a young man. But whether it's that situation and you're young or it's another situation and you're out further in life, just watch out. And I found that to be too over and over in ministry that, you know, you'd, you'd kind of be going along and think, oh, whew, this, is, this is great. <laughs> you know, if it could all just be like this. Everything is, is going, It just you go home at night, you don't worry about too much, everything's going, boom. There's always something right around the corner, especially in church work. That's just how it is. And uh, I think back to many illustrations, but one of the specific areas that comes to mind that's not, that's not too suggestive, but it's just as adequate and true, is money. You know, I mean, <laughs> I remember so many times that uh, you know we, we'd be looking at our finances and I spent a lot of time with our bookkeeper because ultimately she and I were the people on the ground trying to figure out how we're we going to, what bills we're gonna pay and how we're gonna take care of this and be sure we've got enough, we got enough money and not too much month. And there were a lot of times that I, I spent a lot of time praying about that and I know she did too. And I'd often have to go into the office and sit down with her and spend some time and try to give her some direction. Other times, it was like we were, you didn't have to worry about anything. You didn't have to worry about anything. See, when you're, when you're operating a ministry like that, and especially if you have a Christian school with it, you have a lot of expenses, and these people that are on your staff, they want to be paid every week, and they don't want excuses. And your missionaries want to be paid every month, and they don't need excuses. And you know, God was so good to us never once. In all those years, did we ever default or not, or miss any of those things? But it wasn't without a lot of time spent on knees. And so what I'm saying to you is, you know, in those flush times when you go home at night and think, this is great, you know, just wait a month or two or just wait till tomorrow. And it might be different. And this is just sort of the warp and woof of the Christian experience, isn't it? Nobody is on easy street for long. I'm just telling you. So if you're here today and, you know, you have fair winds and following seas, my advice to you is enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, God is giving you that. But don't be so naive as to think that life isn't composed of other things as well. Well, all right, so that's enough of that. We've got to get to the battle Join. So here's the thing. It goes both ways, you know. I mean, success is its own trial, if you think about it. Because what do we do with it? Does it make us heady? Does it make us proud? Does it make us arrogant? Does it make it make us less dependent on God? Or does it make us into a person who is stronger? God's gonna make sure it makes him into somebody who's stronger and he maintains the right position with God and man, which he does. But uh, sometimes what God sends along to us as a blessing, all of this prosperity, can be its own trial because of the weakness of of the flesh. So, here you go. This is the stage set. It's coming. His youth and inexperience. Youth and inexperience. There's uh, there's some people here who might remember that phrase. But you might remember um, probably one of the greatest debate lines that I've ever heard. Was when Walter, when when Ronald Reagan was running for his second term, and you remember his opponent was Walter Mondale, and you know he was the oldest president in office at that point, and ha- was. Uh, till we are now, but he was, and so inevitably they knew this question was going to come up about his age. He was ready for it, and so when the ABC reporter or whoever it was who was asking questions, said Mr. President, and, and queried him about his age. And, you know, in that, in, that, in that manner that I haven't seen repeated since his day, in that unflappable manner, he just said, you know, I have determined not to make age an issue in this campaign. I have determined not to hold my opponent's youth and inexperience against him. And the place just came apart. I mean, it just it was a total defuse of, of the whole issue and, and nothing. Even when the, when the camera showed Mondale, Mondale was laughing. It was just one of those moments. But youth and experience can be a problem. So think about where youth and experience would play into this subtle flattery. Now, I, there's a reason I chose the word subtle, because you won't find it in the text. You won't find a word about flattery in the text, but you'll find it. First of all, Mrs. Potiphar is his obvious senior. I don't mean she has more authority, but I mean she's an older woman. I don't know by how much, but she is. She's an older woman, so wouldn't that be sort of a heady thing to a young man? Oh, we don't have to elaborate. I think you get it. Not to mention how her initial approach is, as you notice here. And As I said, the writer sets this up intentionally so that verse 6, the second part that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance comes right there and immediately it says in verse 7, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Well, that's got to be awfully heady stuff for a young man. And when you start looking at these places that I've given you in the Bible, we're just going to look at a couple of verses from Proverbs, these are classic tools. Just, you know, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman. Look at this phrase, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Look at verse, the last verse here, verse 21. With much seductive speech she persuades him, Take a look at that word much for right now. We'll come back to it in a moment. But for right now, look at the end. With her smooth talk, she compels him. So when you find things appealing to your pride, and that's a setup. That's, watch out for that, whether it's in this arena or a different arena. That's something you have to watch for. There's something else, sudden boldness. I mean, this is an ambush. Pure and simple, that's what this is. He comes walking into the house, and I think this is the furthest thing from his mind. She runs up with this proposition. And she doesn't mince words about the thing either. Well, that reminds me of this. I mean, the serpent comes up there to Eve, like he owned the place, and starts questioning her. Did God really say that? Not Not only talking to the woman, but questioning God, and ultimately, it gets down to the fact that in the last part of this, the serpent said to the woman, you will not, you will not surely die. How bold is that? And again, I'm without saying too much, I'm gonna tell you, sometimes, this is a, really important to a point that we're gonna see with Joseph in a moment, but sometimes an ambush is extraordinarily effective and the only way you can be ready for an ambush, I'll just get ahead of myself, is to be thinking about the fact that sometimes they happen. So, that's what this is. And I told you to watch that word much a moment ago because here's another tool she uses, which is persistence. Look at verse 10. And she spoke to Joseph day after day. I don't know, was this Chinese water torture or something? I mean, it it wears you out after a while. And I'm sure that in her speech, she proposed all sorts of little compromises, but you'll note, well, it's getting ahead of ourselves, but you see what it says there. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or oh, just come over to the coffee table for a few moments. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't have anything to do with any of that, but she's persistent. She knows, just think about, about Samson. Here's a couple verses. His Philistine wife, she wept before him for seven days. That's great. Seven days of that, I mean, my heart goes out to him. And then in chapter 16, when it's Delilah, she pressed him hard with her words day after day. You have to watch that technique, too. We all have to watch that technique because the devil will just keep after you. And keep, you know, there's a reason it says in the temptation of Christ, he departed from him, what's the next phrase? For a season. So you run the devil off one day, but he's back the next. You have to watch that, but Joseph, see, what Mrs. Potiphar doesn't understand is she just thinks that Joseph is the -the run-of-the-mill young man, and it isn't that he's cut out of a different bolt of cloth in the sense that we're all Adamic, he has that nature, he has those temptations, but he has some other things going on. For every tool in her toolkit, he has one to match it, and this is what I'm interested in when I talk about this classic temptation, because here are principles. I mentioned preparation. If somebody sets an ambush for you, if you're not prepared for that, it's too late. And if I might be blunt, for parents or grandparents ministering to their grandchildren, it is too late when you're a teenager and you're in the back seat of a car, which maybe you shouldn't be there, and you've got a young lady with you who's aggressive. It's too late to figure out what your position is. You better know your position before you let yourself get into a situation. Your position probably should be you don't want to get into that position. But if you get caught in that situation, you need to know what your answer is and what your course of action is, and you have to settle this in your heart ahead of time because otherwise the onslaught going to be too great. And where do I get preparation? His response to her is as immediate as her proposition to him. Verse 8 says, but he refused. I mean, he didn't sit down and negotiate or parley or uh, say, well, let's talk this out. And, you know, oh, no, you're gonna, <laughs> you've lost if you start down that road. So that's one thing. We have to keep moving, I'd like to say more, but uh, this one might surprise you, accountability. Where do you see accountability? I thought he was the head overseer. I, had, I thought that he did, Potiphar was gone. Potiphar didn't even know what was going on. So where was accountability? I mean, they didn't have, the. You know, that video surveillance thing <laughs> they have today. There do any video surveillance going on there. So where's the accountability? He's the head honcho. His position and lack of supervision, which for a lot of us would be excuses. It's what a lot of people say later. Well, you know, I, I, I had access to all this money. Nobody else really saw what was going on. People caught in embezzling. They had access to all this money and could sign the checks or could do this or do that, nobody really knew. I mean, how many people have anybody heard about, is anybody anybody familiar with Collins Street Bakery? Nobody? Oh, you've got to look them up. Man, if you like fruitcake and you haven't, I shouldn't be a tempter. You'll get one of those fruitcakes and you'll be forever hooked if you like fruitcakes. But they had an article in the latter part of the year, up towards Christmas time, this guy embezzled $16 million from them. And I looked at that thing and I said, man, that's a lot of fruitcakes. $16 million he embezzled, but he had access to it. So other people, this is, this is what becomes the excuse, well, I, I could. Joseph says to himself, yeah, I could, so I have to impose a stricter standard on myself. You see what's going on here? Where do you see that stricter standard? Well, he brings it out himself. He says in verse 9, or he responds to her and says, my master has no concern about anything. It's all true. It's all true. I have this position and there is opportunity. But I can't do that. That would be to abuse the trust that's been placed in me. He's put everything in my charge, verse 9. He is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything except you. And then, this is where where Joseph's theology comes out, and this is something we should take note of. What's your view of sin, high or low? Because in this day, it's a very low view of sin, if you call it sin at all. Oh, everybody does that. And standards are no more, and we just have sort of explained away all these things. Well, you know, everybody, any, everybody ends up doing that sometime or another. No, they don't. And you can't give yourself that little excuse. Joseph didn't do it. It's why he was successful. He said to himself, because so many other people do get trapped there, I'm going to be careful that I don't by God's grace. But he says, and one of the things that impels him to this is, you know, because here's how I view sin. It's a great wickedness and a sin against God. It's not just a sin against Potiphar. It is that. Do you realize, folks, everything is on the line here. Everything. Just think about this. Everything is on the line here. It isn't just when Potiphar comes home and believes the story and he, you know, he loses his position there. No, if he had become involved with this at this point, everything that unfolds later in the story of how God wanted to use him at just like erased. That's what happened to Reuben. That's why Reuben lost the birthright. Everything was on the line. and He said, oh, no, no, I, 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 I can't do this. I can't do this to Potiphar. I can't do this to you. I can't do this to God. That's a high view of God and a high view of sin, the wickedness of sin. We need that. We need preaching that way. He also has vigilance, which, as I say, that's the answer to her persistence. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful, or be vigilant. So he has every tool that he needs. And the last thing that he has going on here is humility. And again, that might be a word that you wouldn't think of to characterize this, but he's very careful not to overestimate his own strength. So when the day comes when he doesn't realize, there's another ambush, he doesn't realize there's nobody else around. He's, he's already on his guard about her, but he goes in. He doesn't realize no one else is in the house. She comes up again, grabs him. I mean, Joseph and garments have problems. You ever notice that? I mean, there's a parallelism in the story. You know, the garments got him in trouble before, and the garments got him in trouble now. I don't know, maybe he should have had a tighter belt or something, sash or something on that robe of his, but <laughs> she grabbed that thing. Oh, boy. But he flees. Isn't that what the New Testament says? Flee immorality, Paul says. He didn't say stop and negotiate. He says flee. And again, it goes back to what it says in Proverbs. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. So Peter said, though all men shall forsake you, yet will not I there's a problem. And it's not a problem that uh, Joseph has in this instance, oh, that can't happen to me. Oh, yes, it can. You give the right circumstances and the right provocation and the right lack of spiritual vigilance and you can be into a problem. So I hope there's some things we can just be encouraged by when we look at this today because it is possible to, join this battle and win. So God gives the victory and there's some things just to say quickly in closing and that is here's another reminder you know when you when you're a person of integrity and you do right it doesn't necessarily mean that you avoid blowback. The way Paul said it when he was trying to inculcate that principle into young Timothy was Yea, and all who shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now they're not going to give you accolades. Now here's what's really interesting. Do you think Potiphar, this is just something to take home and think about. Do you think Potiphar believed this whole story? I'm not sure. But what choice did he have? I mean Mrs. Potiphar says that was happened. So, if he's going to continue to live with Mrs. Potiphar, <laughs> you know, but there's, a, there's some stuff going on here. He was really angry with Joseph, so he, he made the appropriate response, at least insofar as she's concerned. But there's blowback here. I mean, she's angry. She, You know, what does it say? Hell, hell hath no fury like a, a woman scorned. And that's what's going on here. She scorns him because she's angry. She calls him a Hebrew. This Jew you brought in here, that's what she's saying. And the lying and the treachery, and it's like the roller coaster. We just went from the apex. (laughs) I mean, this this is so fast of a descent and so dizzying that it's like the butterflies are going off in your stomach. It's like a redo of chapter 37. We start down, we go up, we're down look what happens by the time this thing is over. Now, the reason I ask you, too, about how much of this was believed, um, and I'm, oh, I'm curious about the servants of the house, too, because usually the house servants know a few things, and, of course, there's no comment given as to what they thought, but, you know, usually someone like that, their, their reputation kind of precedes them. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I noticed that the fellow who was in charge even though he may have been under Potiphar, and even though obviously they they would have known one another, he doesn't take it too seriously. (laughs) Because Joseph has been there no time when he promotes him to exactly the same position, albeit in jail, and what he had in Potiphar's house. And so the roller coaster is going up again. So here's the last thing I want to leave you with. Turn back to the beginning of the chapter, because I want to show you two bookends. So look in verses 2 and 3. There's a phrase repeated four times in this chapter. And I've told you what it is, so you don't have to guess. But look what it says. Verse 2, the very beginning. The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Look at the end of the chapter. Now it's in prison again. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention, sounds like Potiphar, to what was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. So folks, doing right doesn't shield us from blowback, but it keeps us right with God and ensures that His blessing, His hand of blessing can continue with us. And I just want to give you a little phrase to take away as we close today. What that's meant to do, the the Spirit of God inspiring this story puts those bookends because it's important for me to know and it's important for you to know, when you're riding the roller coaster, there's an operator. And it's not like that ride down in, was it Florida, where they didn't pay too much attention to the rules and let that 300 pound young man ride that ride when it exceeded the weight limit. God will never exceed the weight limit on my ride or yours. He's the person in the shadows. And the whole thing that that person in the shadows, that expression is meant to remind us of is you don't always see him obviously working, but he is. Someone once said that a period at the end of a sentence instead of an exclamation point is when God sees fit to remain anonymous. And God is often anonymous, but never MIA. Dear Lord, bless us as we go our ways now and prepare our hearts for the service to follow in Jesus' name.